Good morning, Bethel. Good morning. So glad to see all of your smiling faces this morning. We are in week six of our series called Reset. And just to kind of give a little background on this series, for those of you maybe that have not been with us through the whole series, we're walking through this idea of resetting our lives. We have started something new. We are resetting our lives to this new reality of the life that we're living now. And so we want to, we, as we walk through this series, we've used it in line with Ezra uh, chapters 1 through 6. We'll be in chapter 6 today. And just to recap the first six chapters of Ezra real quick for us today, the nation of Israel was taken off into captivity by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were captured by the Persians. And the nation of Israel was in captivity and slavery and bondage for 70 years. The, they were released from bondage to come back to the nation of Israel, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city walls. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today. So they are resetting their lives to this new idea that they have of being free again to worship their God in the temple there in Jerusalem. And so we've been tracking with the story of the Israelites returning, rebuilding the city walls, rebuilding, most important of all, the temple at Jerusalem. And we've looked at delays, resistance, frustration, attacks. And we're going to see today that they finally finished what they set out to do. Now they're going to stop and take time to celebrate and renew. We must have that time of renewal in our lives, both spiritually and physically. But before we get there, we're going to read several passages from Ezra. Now remember, it was Cyrus who gave them the decree to go back and rebuild. But what we find in our passage today is Cyrus has died and he's passed off the scene. We have a new king, Darius, who is now on the scene. And remember, there were people in the land that did not like the fact that the Israelites had come back into the land. There are people that had been there these 70 years while the Israelites were gone in captivity that had come in and filled that power vacuum that had been in control. And they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that the Israelites were rebuilding the temple. They were rebuilding the walls. And they were continually fighting against that. So they went to Darius thinking, okay, we've got a new monarch in power. Maybe he will squash this idea. And so the first part of Ezra chapter 6, Darius says, go look in the historical archives and let's see if Cyrus really gave the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And here is what that decree says. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stone and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem, 
and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its own place. You shall put them in the house of God. So Darius finds the decree. He finds the decree from Cyrus that confirms what the Israelites had been doing. Let's skip down to verse 11. So here's what Darius says in response. Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. Man, <laughs> what strong language from the king. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. Tatanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates, and Shathar Bazanai and their colleagues complied at once with the command of King Darius. <laughs> it all backfired on them. They thought, oh, we could go to the new king, and maybe the new king will side with us. <laughs> but the new king goes and looks at the history books, sees what Cyrus, his predecessor, said, and he says, not only am I going to uphold what Cyrus says, I'm going to double down on it. And if you try to thwart my decree, I'm going to take a beam out of your house and impale you with it. Wow. You think that scared them straight? Obviously, this governor here, Tatanai, he obviously complied. He was fearful for what was said there. All right, let's keep going. Verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Idu. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their, their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Man, what a time of celebration. Can you imagine? So they leave Jerusalem 70 years before. Remember, we read in Ezra, I think it was Ezra chapter 3, how there were people, there were men who were young boys that were taken into exile, who had been in Babylon, who had been in Persia, and had now come back home. Can you imagine just the joy to be able to worship God again freely there in Jerusalem? For no, for 70 years, there was no temple. There was no rest, but they're able to worship freely their God. Verse 19, on the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy. 
For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Syria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So we see here that as a part of this celebration, they had two feasts, two celebrations they took part in, the Passover and also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we'll look at those here in detail in just a moment. But something that I read this past week that really kind of caught my attention and thinking through this, this idea of returning and renewing. They were renewing here their temple worship. They were renewing their feast. They were renewing their worship of God inside the temple. For hundreds of years, there have been these massive trees in California called the sequoia trees. How many of you guys have ever seen one? Ever been to the park there and seen the big massive sequoia trees? Some of them 240 feet up into the air. Massive trees there in California. And these trees have survived fires, they've survived storms, natural disasters. But a few years ago, one of these majestic giants fell to the earth in a thunderous crash. It was the first of many that would follow the same course over the next few years. So the Forest Service authorized an investigation. What mysterious force caused these magnificent trees to come tumbling down? There had been no windstorm, no fire, no floods, no lightning strikes. The, top, the toppled trees showed no um, Insect damage, nothing from animals. And as the park rangers, or the forestry experts, began to ex examine these behemoth trees, they came to a startling conclusion as to why they fell. They determined that foot traffic around these trees, so some of you that have raised your hand, that were around those trees, <laughs> the foot traffic around the trees over the years had damaged the root system and caused them to collapse. Even the most powerful and venerable trees that have lived hundreds of years cannot survive when they do not have their protection of their root system. No sacred space or enclosure around their system. They said, the root system of the trees does not grow in depth equal to its height. The root system of trees grow outward toward the outward drip line edge of the tree. Therefore, simply because a tree may grow to be over 100 feet doesn't mean that its roots grow down 100 feet. Most trees' roots lie only 18 to 24 inches below the soil. They may spread, though, to occupy space for four to seven times the width of the tree's crown. The root hairs located just back from the tips of the smaller roots absorb water and minerals and send them circulating throughout the root system. So think about that. As we as humans were walking around these massive trees, no doubt taking pictures and posting them on social media, because we thought it was, oh, look at this tree, I can't even get my arms halfway around it. As humans were walking around, they were destroying the root system of these massive sequoia trees. And so these trees, they've been walked around, they have weak roots, and they eventually fall for lack of care because they were never given the chance for the ground around it 
to renew, to build back up, to regain its strength because it was continually, day after day after day, tourists being pounded, pounded, pounding around this root system. You know, I thought, man, what a perfect illustration of our lives today. Unless we find a way to protect and nourish our roots, we will fail. We will fail. It may be one great physical, emotional, moral collapse, or it may be little by little, like these trees, through the years. Gradually weakening our lives, killing the essence of who we are and who we are to become in Christ. This past week, I had time at Chick-fil-A with a, a man that I've known for probably 10 years. Um, and I hadn't talked to him in probably five or six years, and he sent me a message and said, hey, Pastor Robert, can we get together and chat? I said, sure, um, I'd be glad to. And so we sat down and chatted. And he proceeded to tell me about how for years he worked 60, 70 hours a week overtime at work. He didn't have to. They weren't needing the extra money. They just... He wanted to work too because he felt like that's what he needed to do. He neglected his wife. He neglected his family. And now he was losing it all. He said, Pastor Robert, I don't know what to do. My heart sat there breaking for him. And I, I had this message in my mind and I'm thinking, there was no renewal in your life. You chose to work on Sundays instead of coming to church to have that time of renewal, that time that you need to regrow that root system of spiritual roots in your life. It's such a struggle. So hurtful to think about what we do in our lives to destroy our roots. You know, when we, we think about this, when we think about our lives, and we've said it here at Bethel, that the, one of the only ways to pr prove our vertical relationship with God is through our horizontal care for others. And we have to make sure that we're taking time to renew our commitments and remember why we follow Jesus. Why are we followers of Christ? We have to renew that. In Ezra, we see the people of Israel here. They have this desire to be restored, to be renewed as a people. They celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know, that first passage we read there, they started celebrating the Passover. I love the parallels here in this idea of the Passover because Passover is a time of remembrance. It's a time, Passover is a time of reflection. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of focus. They're remembering back to how God protected them, how God took care of them, how God delivered them the celebration of this Passover, the parallels here of how they were freed as slaves from Egypt are so great. They were In Egypt, they were slaves. They were slaves in Babylon. They had been freed by the hand of God in Egypt. They had been freed by the hand of God in Babylon. In both cases, it was God who came in and who took care of them. Passover was a saving moment in Egypt. The people were getting back to why they were following God. The shedding of the blood of the Lamb was a foreshadowing of what was to come with Jesus. John would later say, hundreds of years later in John 1.29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sins of the world. Jesus has accomplished once and for all what the Lamb could only cover for a moment. You see, the nation of Israel would come together and celebrate this Passover once every year to shed the blood to cover the sins for the nation for that year. But it was the Lamb of God that we must pause and celebrate what Jesus has done for us upon a cross, taking away our sins. He is our substitute. He took our place. He died once and for all for our sins. When we realize that we cannot save ourselves from God's wrath, it causes us to celebrate. When we realize that he has taken our place and he has paid the price for our sin, it causes us to celebrate. We talked about in our youth class this morning how the devil is there before God, continually accusing us before God. We as believers telling us, he did this and this and this and this. Look at the way she's living her life doing that and that. And the scary thing is, is that when it comes to that, the devil doesn't have to lie. Why? Because we're sinners. Everything the devil is saying before God is true. But we have Jesus who scripture says is our advocate before the Father, who after the devil makes all of his accusations, Jesus steps up and he says, he's right. All of those things are true about that individual, but because my blood has been shed on a cross for their sin, I have paid their Man, what a reason to celebrate. What a reason that we as the people of God have to celebrate. We can get so busy with the what, we forget about the why, why we are here. So don't get worn out trying to save yourself that you forget that Jesus died for you. It also says that in this passage, they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. You know, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, it happened so quickly that the bread makers didn't have time to finish the process of making the bread. They could not put the yeast in. They ate bread without leaven as they were leaving on their journey away from Egypt. Unleavened bread is simple and pure. You just add water, flour, and mix and bake. In ancient times, the leavening process usually involved adding a little pinch of sourdough to the mix. But unleavened bread has no history that is brought into its creation. It's therefore a new lump, not, exist, not existing material from the past. It's free, in other words, from the effects of decay. Leavening represents a connection to our past lives. Another way to say it is that unleavened bread represents an abrupt break with the past through the lack of previous labor or human design. So they celebrated this, this, uh, this celebration of unleavened bread, recognizing the break from their old lives. John 6.35, says, 6, Jesus said to them, using this idea of bread, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Understanding the Jews would recognize what he was saying with their their celebration of unleavened bread and how important the idea of the bread was in the Jewish society. He's telling them, 
I'm the bread of life. You come to me, you will not hunger, you will not thirst. The bread of life, it is to be consumed daily. Because it's not consumed daily, we have the tendency to drift. Like the sequoia tree, we get trampled and worn down. We need to live a life of renewal. We need time to separate from the chaos around us and begin to refresh and to renew. We need a time to have a fresh start without the baggage from our past. We need a time to break free from the weight of continual burden. And how many of you came into this room this morning to worship God and you have such a burden? You're just tired. You're struggling throughout this week. You've been faced with things this week and you need a time of renewal. We all set out to construct our lives. We toil and bust ourselves and work and try. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for fun. We're looking for purpose and success and power. And all of our work has left us wanting and needing more. We're not satisfied. We want that next dollar. We want that next hint of feeling great. But we're actually not satisfied in all of our endeavors when we're actually just worn out and tired from the pursuit. And we need a renewal. And that renewal is understanding that salvation, the source of salvation, is through Christ. It's not us. Understand the source of our connection is through the Holy Spirit. Understanding that the source of our sustaining is the Word of God and understanding the source of our accountability is one another. That's what we get when we step into this place each and every day. I mean, each and every Sunday as a renewal. It is the gospel who saves and sustains us. It is the gospel. It is not a one and done event. It's not just a one time accepting Christ into your heart and then living your life however you want. No, it's the gospel that's day after day after day that gives you that renewal. Jesus gives rest to the spiritually drained. He gives rest to the emotionally drained. He gives rest to the physically drained. Some of you are running ragged because you're dying to accomplish only what Jesus can accomplish in your life. I wish I could give you you know, a three-step process on rest and renewal. There are many of them out there in all kinds of books, but I can tell you that none of them work because our relationship with Jesus cannot be reduced to a schedule. It can't. But it can be renewed each day in God's mercies, Scripture says, are new every morning. We can be renewed in the mercies of God each and every day. So when was the last time you stopped and reflected on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We take that time at Easter. We have a time we go through and really emphasize that, but when's the last time you in your individual life stopped and reflected on Jesus? When was the last time you celebrated your freedom from sin and Christ? 
When was the last time you confessed your sin? Man, that's a big one. When's the last time you sat down before God and said, God, please forgive me of this and this and this? When was the last time you celebrated Jesus? Confession, repentance is a part of the renewal process. It's part of celebrating Jesus. We get so beat down because of the indwelling sin in our heart that continually pulls us down. Protect your roots. Don't get worn out or you will fall. Time to renew and celebrate. So I ask you today, do you find yourself overwhelmed? Do you find yourself drained and tired because Jesus is calling you to a time of renewal and rest and peace. What areas of your life do you need to create a protective barrier around? What areas of your life have you allowed to slip and your root system is being destroyed? being destroyed to the point where you feel like you're about to fall physically, emotionally, spiritually. God is saying, come to me. Find rest. Find peace in me. Church, this coming season is a big season for us, Tuesday night. We are starting our kickoff of our small groups. We're going to have a Bethel family fun night here at the school at 6 o'clock on Tuesdays. Then the following Tuesday, we have our small group starting. It is a time on Tuesdays of renewal and rest from the busy week. It's a time for us to come back together and connect. We're offering two options. We're offering a Zoom option for those of you that are comfortable with Zoom. At 8.30, we're going to offer an in-person option at 7 o'clock at the Deitch's house. So however you want to connect, but this sermon goes back into that because we need each other. And this hour on Sunday morning, it's not enough. It's not enough to renew our hearts and our lives. So we've got a sign-up table out on the ta- out, a sign-up list out on the table in the foyer this morning. And we would love for all of you to say, I'm going to put a barrier around my life over these next six weeks. That's all we're asking is six weeks. Six weeks for a small group. I'm going to commit on Tuesday nights to dive deeper into God's word and renew the root system, the spiritual root system of my life. Let's pray. Thank you.